Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Hit subscribe right there on YouTube, turn on those notifications, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today we are talking about life after being an athlete, and an athlete at really the highest level. Lauren Williams. Hey, she's a former Kane. You know I love my Canes. Go Canes. She's on the show today talking about being an Olympic athlete. She's the first American woman to earn medals at both the summer and winter games. She won a gold medal, two silver medals, but she really was skilled at transitioning her career from being an elite athlete to actually a certified financial planner. She's walking through why she discovered that career path and her advice to others looking to make a change. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want, it is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to meet virtually. We did our virtual handshake and hugs just a moment ago. Lauren Williams to the show. Hi there. Hi, Tamika. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for being on. Um, You have a long list of accomplishments, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, I have to point out one of my favorite, a fellow Kane. (laughs) (laughs) Go Canes! (laughs) Thanks again for being on the show. I was going through your bio. I know you're currently a financial planner. You're an author, a podcaster. So you're familiar with this space, a motivational speaker. But... Tell us how most people probably would also know your name. So there's this thing called the Olympics that I participated in. And I got to go not one time, but four different times. Um, So I'm a four-time Olympian, and I am the first American woman to have earned a medal in both the summer and the winter Olympics. Uh, I did track and field and bobsled. Awesome. Congratulations. I mean, what an accomplishment. It was a pretty fun time in my life. I definitely have no regrets. Um, I'm super excited about all the things I was able to experience during that time period, but also excited to be kind of like in the next phase of life, so. Yeah. I wanna know, because this show is all about sharing stories and obviously I wanna catch up to the present day, but take me back to the beginning. Was track and field always a part of your life? Was there a reason that that sparked an interest in you? Kind of when did that start? I did a little bit of everything um, from karate to ballroom dancing, softball, basketball, you name it. I pretty much participated in it Um, and it slowly kind of whittled it down over time to, oh, you know, I'm not that good at flipping and gymnastics. So, you know, I'm not as flexible as some of the other girls. So I was like, okay, I give up on that thing. And then it was like, well, I sat the bench on senior night (laughs) in basketball. So maybe that's not my thing. And kind of, like I said, slowly but surely found that track and field was the one thing that I was consistently doing well at and, you know, naturally doing well at. So kind of was, you always knew you were athletic, right? Mm -hmm. And was interested in sports and being active. 
So that was the one that kind of, you know, you settled on because you excelled at. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the kind of competitive aspect of it. So at one point, you know, I was way faster than the girls that were my age. And then I started to raise boys my age and, you know, <laughs> that stopped being a, a fun thing because I was beating them as well. So it's like, okay, now I'm racing boys that are older than me. And I don't think I really put it together in the moment that it was um, a talent or, you know, that it was just like, oh, I love to compete. Okay. What's next? What's next? Give me more of a challenge. Right. Uh, what, so what age were you at that time when you were realizing, Hey, I'm, you know, faster than the boys that are older than me. It was like the nine to 10, you know, the late elementary, but right before middle school time. At what point did you realize this would become, you know, something you went to college for and, you know, on from there? So, like I said, I was kind of a late bloomer in the sense of like really having goals or aspirations of becoming an Olympian. Uh, for me, it was more about getting an education. So I knew that education was really important. That's what my parents talked about all the time. And right. so when I realized that I could use track and field as a way to get a free education, I was like, oh, I'm all over this. You know, Sign me mm -hmm. up. Where do I run around this circle so that you guys can pay for my college education? Because I was not fortunate enough to have like a college fund or, you know, any significant amounts that were gonna come my way other than, you know, academic scholarships or, you know, financial aid of some sort. So I went to college thinking, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to get a free education. I wanna repay you by working really hard on this track because up to that point, it had been more of a hobby, more of a fun thing for me. I didn't really take it very serious. You know, I was more talent than I was actual hard work or dedication. Because when it comes to the Olympics, would you say most athletes, is this something they're typically thinking about from a young age and working towards from a young age? Yeah, I think a lot of the sports require you to participate from a very early age, develop those skills, um, hone those skills and and become an expert in such a way that you can get to the Olympics. But I, I think I was doing that. I just didn't realize, you know, especially because right. it's just running. You're running around the neighborhood. You're running up and down a basketball court. Uh, it, was, it was happening and I had, you know, developed the skill over time, but I, I didn't do it within any real intention. It wasn't because I wanted to be an Olympian when I grew up. It was more so that I really loved being outside. And then I realized that this could open additional doors for me. And I'm like, okay, let's go some places. Right. And, and maybe that's kind of like a better way for it to have happened because it removes the pressure from it. Like you were just doing something that you loved and enjoyed. And like you said, wanting to be wanting to be outside. You know, sometimes that really does play a role. Like what you don't know, you don't know to be afraid of, you don't know to be feel the pressure. And so you go out there and you compete a lot freely, a lot more freely. Um, one of the other things I see all the time now is that, like I said, because there's so much more technology, so much more information is parents pushing their kids in a particular direction and, and they burn out. So you might be the fastest kid ever at age 16 and they think you're going to be the next best you know uh world-class athlete and by 19 you completely burnt out and it's because you peaked so soon um right. you used all the weights that the professionals were using you do, you're doing all these different things as your body was going through these changes um and it, it didn't actually allow you to have any longevity and so that's another thing that i think people have to kind of be mindful of is let a child be a child and, and kind of let yeah. yourself kind of develop naturally into what it is that is right for you. Right. So you are, you're um, getting a free education at UM, um, you know, a scholarship on track and field. And it was your coach, it sounds like, who really pointed out that, hey, this could be a path for you. So tell me what that conversation was like, what your reaction was like and kind of the next steps from there. Yeah, so it was my junior year of college and I won the national championships and I ran the second fastest time in the world. 
So I literally went yeah. from just, you know, trying to make it to nationals to trying to win nationals to not only having won, but have been become the fastest, second fastest person in the world that year. Oh First fastest goodness. being from a completely different country. So now I'm the fastest American. I'm 19, I'm, I'm 20 years old, I think at the time. Um, and America's looking at me like, hey, you are our Olympic hopeful. Uh, the Olympic trials are just like six weeks away, I think at that point. And um, I had to kind of refocus and get myself together. She sat me down and just said, you know, as much as I'd like you to stay in school, you know, it's my job to keep you here at the university and, you know, to make this team the best. I don't think it's in your best interest to um, continue on in school because uh, there's going to be financial opportunities available to you now that you may not have if you wait until next year when it's not an Olympic year, even though it's going to be your senior year next year. So I, I really appreciate her still to this day for having the the guts to tell me that because I think, you know, I, I valued her so much that I probably would have stayed in school if she had told me to, or if it hadn't really come up, I, you know, it was just like, it was a lot to deal with. And it was like, oh, I really like the environment that I'm in right now, but right. You know, little birdie went out the nest and, and <laughs> things got really good. <laughs> because just like you had mentioned earlier, you know, your primary focus was going to get an education. That was something your parents instilled in you as well. So was that a difficult decision to make? Um, it was a tough decision, but what I did was, you know, there's always things to be thinking about. So you can be as forward thinking as possible and, and don't be afraid to ask is one of the things I've learned over time. What I did was, uh, I had a contract with Nike and Nike, I negotiated that they would pay for the rest of my education. So when you decide to take money as a college athlete, well, and there's this whole new system now, but back in my day, <laughs> <laughs> when you decided to take money as a college athlete, you lost your eligibility to, to be, um, you know, in the NCAA system. So I left and I, I chose Nike as my sponsor or Nike chose me and I put into my contract that they would need to pay for the remainder of my education so that I could, you know, complete my degree because that was something I did not want to have to one come out of pocket for, but I did not want to give up either just because I was making, you know, really good money working with them. The way you tell the story is like, eh, okay, you know, no big deal. But for us <laughs> listening to this, like, Give us some insight into what kind of discipline, mental focus, like mindset that takes to be at that level. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, like I said, not seeing obstacles, which is what we do so often in life and focusing on the opportunity. So um, if you look at the obstacles, you can let fear hold you back from achieving the things you want. Whereas when you really like, hey, there are lots of opportunities in front of me. I don't know how they're going to pan out but this is really exciting, this is really fun, and you go passionately toward those uh, those opportunities, then you're gonna have a lot more success than you are failure. Were you having fun in the moment? Yeah, I, I definitely was having, I mean, I was nervous for sure. Um, there, was a, there, was, there was fear in the sense that, oh my goodness, all of America is counting on me. And I was just a junior in college a couple of days ago. So uh, you definitely felt pressure, but it was still very exciting. Um, so your adrenaline was kind of like constantly pumping, pumping, whether you were on the track or off, because this, like I said, this experience was unfolding, unfolding in front of you. But I got to travel the world. You know, I got to go to Athens, Greece. And, um, you know, you're like I said, every day you wake up and there's something new and exciting that's getting at you. You're meeting new people um, and you're just learning as you go. So tell me about the first Olympic Games. So my first Olympic Games was in 2004 in Athens, Greece, the home of the Games. Um, and that was really special for me, you know, to, mm. to be where it all originated, but also because I got to really witness 
the way that people can come together and people came together on my behalf. Um, so as I mentioned, we weren't a family that had a whole bunch of money. Um, the Olympics come up at kind of a last minute for most Olympic athletes. So our trials are in June and you go off to the Olympics in July and then last minute plans around an event. Um, you know, the Olympics is something that, you know, puts a lot of people in a bunch of credit card debt because they want to be there to support that family member because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's something that could be done better, but I digress in that area. Yeah, now that you say that, the trial is in June, Olympics in July. For those families, of course you want to see your your daughter, your son, your niece, your nephew, your brother, your sister mm -hmm. um, compete, but, you know, making those arrangements last minute to a huge international event is going to be expensive. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting point that I've never thought about it. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge deal. And so, like you said, my family would not have been able to pull it together in, in any meaningful amount of time. And so there was a fundraiser started to be able to help my mom and my dad be able to go. Um, and like I said, I got to see how the people in Detroit uh, rallied around me and the people in Pittsburgh rallied around me. So my mom was living in Detroit. My dad was in Pittsburgh. Um, and they actually ended up raising so much money that we were able to take eight people of my family. So I have five sisters and two brothers. So we're a big family on top of that. Like, you, you know, like, oh, just your immediate family. It was like, it, yeah, my immediate family is actually pretty large. <laughs> so you get there, your family's there. And tell me about the experience for, for you and how it went. Um, I got a silver medal, so I earned a silver medal in the 100 meters, and then in the 4 by one relay, we did, we did not have success. We actually had a botched handoff exchange, so that was a little bit devastating because the relays are pretty big deal, and um, we were pretty confident that we had world record uh, a world record team put together, but, you know, execution is an important part of having a world record team. So um, the other thing that happened in 2004 is that my dad got ill. Um, and so while he was over there, so that was another piece of the puzzle was some of the funds that were raised were to be able to take care of his medical uh, treatments while he was abroad, because that's not covered, but he was okay. And, okay. Good. Yeah, like I said, once again, people rallied around and they got him moved to, um, a, a better hospital. So, you know, he, he went to like the local place whenever the emergency happened and, um, it wasn't the best care. So they moved him into, you know, a private hospital and, um, yeah, it, it just really was cool to be able to see, like I said, how people can work on your behalf when, um, you know, I guess when you're a good person and, and they care about you. Yeah, yeah. You really you saw the support and how excited people were um, and supportive of you and your family as well, mm -hmm. which was nice. So, uh, well, congratulations again. So it sounds like that was a, a fun, like, first time experience. Is there what happens when you return home? Is there kind of a a low that comes after that high? Very much so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, and I'm glad that they're now putting more um, eyes on the mental health issues that a lot of elite athletes face because you, ch you spend a lot of time trace chasing this adrenaline rush and, you know, this mountain peak, and then you get there or maybe you don't. And, you know, it's kind of, it's crushing. It's crushing because it's like, okay, well now what? Um, you know, you got to go eat, sleep, poop and do all the things that regular people do right. um, because it's, it's truly just the moment in time. Um, and so managing, you know, what does my life look like now that people have put so much, uh, you know, place me on a pedestal, place my performance on a pedestal. But yet and still, I, you know, I have these normal things. I still have a family. I still have, you know, bills to pay and all this other stuff. Um, and it's kind of non, you know, it's it's kind of anticlimactic, if you will, to get home and, you know, the hullabaloo goes away and life goes back to normal. And you're just like, wait, this doesn't last forever. And you have to figure out how to manage that in the most appropriate way for you. 
and how did you manage it? Um, I mean, I, one of the things I'm really lucky is that I have a family that is able to, you know, just treat me normal. Like I never got, I never felt like I was put on a pedestal <laughs> by my family. You know, I still got like, you know, picked on by my older sisters and to have an environment where you felt supported but also where you could be yourself and not be the like Olympian Lauren um, was a really key aspect of it for me. And then also just realizing that um, I am more than an athlete and, you know, that's now becoming a cliche, but that's something mm -hmm. that, that people weren't saying before. Like right. our identity was very much stuck in our athletic performance right. and it made up so much of who we were that it, it made it really hard to be anything else. So because people weren't saying that at that time, was that a harder realization to come to that I am more than an athlete? Oh, very much so. Um, for me, the, you know, if you fast forward through my journey, 2009, I took the 2010, I took the year off. So 2008, my dad passed away. Um, 2009, I was kind of just like going through the motions. I had kind of lost the passion for competing. And in 2010, I just said, I'm going to just take a break and try to figure out like what life means and, you know, what, what am I beyond the person who runs up and down uh, a track or, you know, um, goes, goes and competes against people, you know, and why is this important anyway? Like, how am I adding value to the world by running as fast as I possibly can? So I kind of had this like reflective year and I ran into so many people, you know, some of the resources and network that I had built along the way and just asked them like, how's your story? Like, how did you come to become a hotel owner or a doctor or lawyer? You know, like, tell me more about your journey. And it helped me realize like everybody's journey is unique and that your identity is not your profession. Your identity is like all of the things that make up who you are. So the hobbies that you like, the language that you use, the, the music that you like, you know, the, the pets that you have, et cetera. Um, and to really focus on me, the whole person versus me, myself as an athlete and myself as a performance and, and always chasing that next best performance. So it sounds like you're really leaning on some of those in your network who weren't just athletes, but others as well and kind of learning their stories. Exactly. How did, how did they find their identity and how, who are they beyond, like you said, being a lawyer or, or the most prevalent thing. And I think, right. you know, even as we talk about like social justice and stuff like that, like, who are you beyond a female? Who are you beyond a person of color? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes we just put ourselves in like these boxes of, you know, here's the most prevalent thing, you know, right. say, oh, you know, I was talking to Tamika, well, who's Tamika? Oh, the black girl that, you know, like I've gone right. out of my way now to stop, you know, describing people with the most prevalent you know, something right. that the most prevalent characteristic someone else might recognize. Um, who is this person that I'm talking to? What is interesting about her? And let me share that with someone else in, in the way that I describe them. So to, to use a better vocabulary, because like you said, you are more than your most prevalent characteristic. It's interesting that you, you say that, and it's definitely something that exists across other career paths as well. Exactly. What we do is a piece of who we are. It is not the whole of who we are. It sounds like, you know, what you're kind of learning and realizing about, hey, I'm more than an athlete, um, which wasn't widely talked about at that time, mm -hmm. um, that you were kind of laying the groundwork for starting the business that you have now. That would be accurate. Um, and so, you know, I said life is a journey on a, you're planting seeds even when you don't know it. So um, I was a finance major at the University of Miami. Uh, during my time as a professional athlete, I also earned a master's degree in business administration. Um, I, I got a real estate license. So I was like trying to like figure out, like you said, what I'm interested in. But the journey to becoming a financial planner um, kind of started around this time where uh, I had 
a financial advisor that didn't work out really well. Then I tried a different financial advisor that didn't go really well either. And I'm like, I'm really interested in this topic. I want to make good decisions with my money, which I think, you know, athletes kind of get a bad mm. rap for just being irresponsible and um, young and inexperienced and doing all these terrible things. And, you know, for me, it was more so that I couldn't find the right person to help me, someone who really That's wanted to invest their time. Which it can be very hard to find a good financial planner. I mean, I know that, I mean, there's a lot of people that get into that field for different reasons. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and you have to learn the industry. It's just like anything, you know, so we all have to manage money, which, you know, I hear all the time, like, I don't know why this is not taught in high school or taught in college or taught, you know, so that, because we all need to, you know, manage this the best way possible as a life skill. It's an important life skill. But um, for, for me, it was, I kept seeing a gap in, I, I need to know these basic things and, and someone is not teaching me these things. And what I learned over the course of time is that, you know, there's this whole big financial industry. Um, you know, there's this conglomerate of people who are in it to earn money um, exclusively as opposed to provide value mm -hmm. while earning money. Um, and then there's the certified financial planner. So a certified financial planner is going to be more like a doctor. So, you know, uh, not to throw any shade at like a chiropractor, but you know, if they use, they refer to themselves as doctors, they have PhDs. Right. Um, and so sometimes you think of them as a medical professional, whereas is an MD is the person you want to go to if you have like some sort of illness that, you know, needs to be treated in that regard. So there's, there's a difference. Once again, sometimes you said someone's holding them out themselves out as one thing and you actually need to do a little more research to realize like, oh, I should be in the hands of this kind of person instead. So what are, what are the different? So there's a certified financial planner, which is like, you know, mm -hmm. if we're, comparing them to the doctor of the, the MD of right. the financial industry. And then what would be the other that, that can't say they're a fin certified financial planner? That's just about every other term that you hear out there. So that's okay. wealth manager, financial oh. advisor, um, even just financial planner without the certified in front of it. People can refer to themselves as financial coach, financial guru, you name it. Like there, none of those come with see a lot of those on Instagram. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Influencer. <laughs> a certified trader. financial planner is the only thing that is a registered thing that you cannot say if you are not actually one. And okay. what it means to be a certified financial planner is that you're going to have to pass an exam. You're going to have to have a certain amount of education. Um, you're going to have to abide by a code of ethics. And you're going to have a, have to have a certain amount of experience. So just passing your exam doesn't allow you to call yourself a certified financial planner. You still have to go to get two to three years of experience, depending on who you're working underneath, before you can even use those marks. So you know someone who is carrying those marks has been kind of through the ringer and has some additional financial expertise. And in addition, that education is very holistic in the sense that it's going to talk about right. cash flow and debt and investing in taxes and insurance and estate planning and, you know, like I said, all these different financial topics instead Not of just, just one or two. One area, right. What about, um, I've heard the term fiduciary. Is that, mm -hmm. a, <laughs> is, is that a good, uh, I guess that doesn't, the fiduciary doesn't have to be a certified financial planner. That's right? true. But most people who, yeah, so you don't have to be a certified financial planner to be a fiduciary, you know, to act in a fiduciary capacity. So what fiduciary means is um, I need to do what's in your best interest and I'm legally obligated right. to do so. 
Right. Uh, most people who work in a, a commission capacity are not fiduciary. So as an example, I think pretty much everybody's probably been trying to sell, been sold insurance by uncle somebody or a cousin <laughs> friend, whatever. Um, and they can say, hey, get a million dollars of life insurance because it's going to protect your life and it's going to you know, give you all this money in the future. It's a great investment. Um, when really, you know, you're single, you're young, and you might just need $100,000 of life insurance. So a fiduciary is going to need to do what's in your best interest and not sell you a million dollars if you only need 100000 There needs to be some sort of analysis that says that. You know, to kind of simplify it for people, what I always recommend is that there's three requirements when you're hiring a financial professional um, that you're going to work with your finance on, that they're a fiduciary, um, they're a certified financial planner, and that they're fee only. So fee only means that they're not going to earn any commissions for doing something on your behalf. So if I tell you the fee is $5,000, that's, that is the fee period. There is no underlying transactions. There's no me trading on your account and collecting fees. I'm not collecting, like you said, a, co a commission. There, there's none of that. There is like, this is the fee and this is what you get for the fee. There has right. to be transparency when you refer to yourself as fee only. If you get those three things, that person is truly really working in your best interest. Exactly. Right, because there all these things are not hidden. That's really helpful. I'm gonna make sure to, um, you know, we'll go back and type those three out in the show notes below so that we have those to refer to. So, kind of bringing this all back, we we <laughs> went from the Olympics to deep dive into financial planning and the things to look for. Mm -hmm. um, how did did you just, you know, you talked about your education, which was very much in line with this career path. Then you're, you're going through this phase where you took a break, you're talking to those in your network, discovering what else, I guess, gets you excited, right? And uh, oh, and also because you couldn't find really the right person to help you in your own uh, personal affairs. So was it, was it just like from one to the next, like, I can't find the right person. I want to educate myself more on this. And now I want to do this. That is basically what happened was like, <laughs> I just got frustrated because I was like, this is not working for me. I don't feel any more financially organized, even though I have a financial planner. And so literally a Google right. search is how I found certified financial planning it was like typing in terms because people kept saying like, oh, you want to go get your series seven. That's what the salespeople have. Um, and I was like, okay. So I started like researching it and I'm like, this doesn't feel like this is all, all this talks about is investments. And I'm just like, I want right. to know about like all the things I found the course coursework enrolled in it blindly. So like not, not having any clear plans for going into the industry or anything like that. And then I ended up moving to Texas and getting an internship um, with other certified financial planners. So once again, another Google search, but I, I was on NAPFA. So that's a website for fee only advisors. So everybody that's going to be listed on NAPFA is going to be CFP fee only and fiduciary. And I was like, oh, these people are CFPs just like me. And I still didn't know fee only and fiduciary at the time. Um, okay. And I was like, let me figure out someone nearby. I walked in their office and was like, hey, I want to work here. And they were like, who are you? <laughs> like, we're not hiring. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but there's not a lot of CFPs and I'm, I'm trying to be a CFP and I, I need a job to like learn more about this. That, that was literally, I'm still competing in sports. And so that's where the journey really began. So I got to this internship. It was night and day, the service that they were providing to their clients versus the service I had received from the gentleman I worked with. And I was like, oh, okay, this is financial planning. But the problem with that place was that you needed a million dollars of assets before you could be a client. Hmm. So it was like, you still needed to be a millionaire before you even walked through the door. And I, all I kept thinking was like, I was making $200,000 at 20 years old. Like that's right. a really good living for a 20 year old. Right, right. Um, 
Yeah, and still I would not have access to this place because I didn't have a million dollars in the bank that they could invest on my behalf. And so it was like, that's where I started noticing there's still a gap in this industry. The people that are getting access to really good quality mm. financial advice are already rich. And so how do right. people get rich if they're constantly being taken advantage of by someone who's only, you know, patting their own pocket while telling them that they're investing in their future and creating wealth when there's, you know, multiple aspects of your finances that need to be taken care of in order to really create wealth. You only have to have a million dollars or a lot of money to get the good service and to get the good financial planning. Other that means you won't get there. Right. <laughs> like how how else will you get there if you don't have a good financial planner, a good um, you know service provider in that area to help you get to that level. Okay, so when did you officially start the business? 2016. So uh, October okay. of 2015, I went to a conference. I was interning at a second place, um, and the young lady took me to a conference where it was the first conference of its kind. It was 100, I think, in 12 uh, other financial planners that uh, were all going off and starting their own business and wanted to work with young professionals in a C CFP fee-only fiduciary, all of that. So basically it was like that NAPFA that I just described to you, but it was for young people. And so it was people who were just, they had been working in firms. And obviously that wasn't my story per se, but they've been working in all these big firms, helping millionaires and all their friends were saying like, can you help me? Can you help me? And they're like, yeah, I just got to help you on the side because I, you can't work at my, you know, I can't bring you to my firm because you don't meet the requirements. And everybody started to realize there was this gap. So, you know, I realized something at the same time the industry was realizing mm -hmm. for people who had traditionally been in it. And, you know, there's, there's something that's not right here and a new network was being formed. So I joined that network. Why do you think there was that gap? I think the gap exists because there just is not a lot of people who want to spend the time because it is time intensive when you have less money. So the less money you have, the more it requires to get yourself on track. Um, it's easy to tell somebody who has a million dollars, I'm gonna charge you 1% and that's $10,000, you know? But mm -hmm. um, one of the things we do when we don't have a lot of money is we don't realize, you know, the, the power of gathering all your dollars in one place to be able to earn on those dollars. So, you know, we get $10,000 as someone who doesn't have a lot and we, you know, oh, I gotta help my mama, I gotta help my cousin, I gotta help so-and-so. And before you know it, you've diminished that 10,000 you got a thousand left and maybe even if you put that to invest, you know, what's 1% of a thousand, you know, versus 1% of a million, 1% of a million is a right. lot of money. So, right. You know, right. so people are trying to find like the, you know, lowest investment of time, highest yield uh, way to earn a living. And that's why right. there is a gap in the industry. So I want to know about your business now. So it's been, I guess, about five years since you mm -hmm. started on this new journey and started your business. Tell me about where things are now, who you help, who you serve, um, and yeah, anything else you want to add about your business? Yeah. So the way that I was able to fill the gap was creating a financial planning company where, like I said, I don't charge based on the assets that you have. Um, in fact, I don't charge on the assets at all. What I do is charge you a fee uh, based on what it, what kind of services that you want. So, um, you know, I have six different service offerings, which people are like, that's way too many. You're going to confuse <laughs> the consumer. But I'm all about meeting people where they are. So as an example, the two things I just launched, um, a financial retreat. So what, what am I seeing in the industry? You know, these are, like I said, new service offerings because there's a gap is that people don't have time to actually focus on their finances. So it's like, here, let's get you out of the distractions of life, you know, out of the rat race, get you in a comfortable environment. So I got a private chef, um, 
nice accommodations. There's a hot tub. There's all that kind of stuff. We're going to spend three days, like a, a nice long weekend, Thursday to Sunday, getting your finances organized. We're going to do it in a group environment so you can realize like you're not alone. And instead of just me giving you the answers to the test, I'm going to teach you how to fish. Um, the other offering is very similar to that where it's online. So COVID is happening and some people are not okay leaving their house. So the group environment is something that a lot of people are craving, but we have an online version of the same thing I just described to you where we're going to spend 12 weeks. We're going to every single Sunday, all meet up. You're going to have homework in between and get your stuff done so you can create the plan. So people want to take ownership is what I've been learning. And mm -hmm. that's why these two service offerings exist. Um, or do you work with other athletes? I do. Um, I'd say about 30% of my business is other athletes. Um, I'll be honest, I thought that I was going to work in kind of exclusively with athletes when I started the business. It's like, oh man, there's so many athletes out here that don't know, you know, the same way I didn't know and we need help. Um, but there has been a, a bit of a struggle in getting them to understand the value of financial planning. So while really? I've, you know, gone out and said like, hey, this is what I'm doing. One, one, one obstacle has been, uh, they're like, well, you're an athlete. Like, how can you help me? They still think of you as an athlete more so than a professional, mm -hmm. despite all these licenses and degrees and <laughs> certifications, et cetera. Um, and then the other is just like I said, the, the young, um, not really ready. Like we think we're invincible when we were in the top of our career right. um, and not really wanting to stop, settle down and, you know, take time to, to hear what the information is being taught. We do still have a, a problem overall where athletes, like I said, feel uh, I'll deal with this later and they don't want to deal with it in the moment because they're, they're young and they just don't have the experience to know that this is necessary to deal with now. And I'm a little bit, I guess, surprised about that part of it because I feel like also like the, the mental health conversation that we talked about kind of being more to the forefront now or that I'm more than an athlete conversation that's much more uh, prevalent now. I feel like also the financial conversation around, um, you know, athletes, higher, high earners um, at a young age is more prevalent now as well. But you, it sounds like you think we still have further to go. We still have a ways <laughs> to go. Um, yeah. I, I do think that there's a shift happening. Um, like I said, young professionals are now being more clued in. Uh, COVID has been kind of a, a game changer, eye opener for many people um, to say like, hey, tomorrow is not promised. It's, you know, it's a cliche that we use, like you said, frequently, but I think now people are really feeling uh, now is the time to live my life, to, you know, get organized, to, you know, kind of start doing these adult things because I don't want to have my future be affected by making poor decisions now. Um, so there is a shift that's happening overall. I also have seen it, you know, like I said, people of color, um, I'm now more like generally my, my clientele was not people of color, mm -hmm. um, but now more than ever, I've had people saying like, no, I gotta get my stuff together. Uh, you know, I'm, I wanna make sure I'm on the right track and we're taking responsibility for uh, our finances and being able to change our future and change the trajectory of uh, what's behind us as it pertains to like generational wealth and things like that. And I would also say part of that is too, like, I, I think there's a, a lack of diversity in people of color in the financial planning industry as well. So um, funny you should say that. So as it pertains to certified financial planners, there are 78,000. Um, we are 23% women. So I don't know what that math is, but that's not a lot. <laughs> um, and then there are 3.5% people of color. 
So if you're looking for both a woman and a person of color and you only got 78,000 people to pick from, you're looking for like, there's like seven of us. (laughs) And I know one actually in Miami. (laughs) See? So that's we got, I've already met two of the seven. Right, exactly. Like there are not a whole bunch, right? When you look back at your life career, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of being able to, you know, face the various fears that I encounter. Um, I think for so many of us, like I said, obstacles versus opportunities. And when you're, when, when it's obstacle oriented, it's fear-based and fear holds us back from being able to accomplish so much. Mm. So for me, you know, as an example, leaving uh, elite sports, you know, I had a degree, but I wasn't very confident. I was just like, gosh, everyone, you know, is so much more far ahead of me. I was 30 years old, maybe it was 31 when I left sports. So, you know, there are people who have been 21, been out of school and working for 10 years at this point. And here I am trying to figure out like what my next profession is and starting kind of from the bottom, uh, focus on what can happen versus, you know, what, what might go wrong. Um, and I'm really, really proud of my ability to kind of yeah, get out of my own way time after mm. time so that I can see the fruits of the opportunities in front of me. I love that. I think that's something that everybody can take with them, right? Because mm. uh, fear, all of us have fears. But something I heard uh, not too long ago uh, really helped me that like attached to every fear is a desire. Mm. So um, every time I feel a fear, I'm like, okay, what's the desire that's attached to this and try to focus on that? That is a great question. Like you said, a way to flip it is the thing. It's yeah. like, okay, I feel this feeling. This feeling is valid, but I can also turn this this feeling into something that is positive. There is something positive on the other side of this negative feeling that I'm having. That is a great way to form that. I'm curious as to, you know, if you have a health tip or just something simple that you implement every day in your life that just helps you feel grounded or centered or healthy, Um, that maybe people can take with them that whether it's been part of your life since you were competing in an athlete or something you've implemented more recently, what would that thing be? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's the just start. Um, so I have actually struggled quite a bit with health, um, since I've retired from sports. So, you know, it's like, oh, you're a world-class athlete. It's so easy. You already know what to do. And then you kind of have like this shame around like, well, I'm a world-class athlete. I already know what to do. Why am I not doing it? But what I've reminded myself to do from a health standpoint is to just start and to be consistent. Um, so, you know, like I said, as an athlete, it's like zero or a hundred. It's like, oh, I gotta right. go run laps. I gotta do this thing. I gotta run up, you know, like all these. And it's like, no, no, no. It's okay to like go for a walk, but you right. need to be, you know about setting aside time to go for a walk mm-hmm. um, and be consistent about it. Because, you know, if you start doing four walks a week before you know it, you'll be jogging. And from that jogging, you'll be running and, and so on and so forth. So it's to start. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge yourself for where you're starting and then be consistent. I love that, Lauren. This has been fantastic. Tell everyone where they can find you, the website, social media, so we can put it all below in the show notes. Yes, uh, you can find me at worth-winning.com. That's the financial company, lauren-williams.com if you're looking for the Olympian. Um, And then all across the social media platforms, you can find Worth Winning, but you can also find Lauren Williams. So that's Lauren C. Williams on most of the social media platforms. Awesome. We'll link to all that below. So make sure you connect with Lauren. I mean, how could you not? 
And she's a cane. Let's just add that. In right. <laughs> and it shows, I will add. <laughs> There's just something special about us, you know. There is. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Tamika, thank you for having me on the show. I loved those key takeaways about what to look for when it comes to a financial planner or more importantly, certified financial planner. It can be tricky to navigate that world when we really don't know the ins and outs of what all of these terms mean. So I included some of that key information below in the show notes, as well as Lauren's information. So make sure you reach out to her, say hello, connect with her and learn more about what she does. And hey, connect with me if you haven't done that as well. My information is always in the show notes. I'd love to hear what you loved about this episode, what you liked about this episode, what you would like to hear more of, because I'm here to serve you. So leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or send me an email. Also connect with me on social media. I'm all the places. YouTube and LinkedIn is where I love to play. So find me there. I'm also everywhere else you want to find me. That's below in the show notes, because you know what? We come back each and every week and you don't want to miss out. So until I see you back next week, because I know I will stay happy, stay healthy.